This is DeRay Olalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 174. Let go. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur and you are listening to the before the millions podcast hey this is mark asquith the host of the seven minute mentor podcast global entrepreneur and all-round geek and you are listening to the before the millions podcast i am mc lobster the cash flow ninja and you're listening to before the millions podcast you're listening to the before the millions podcast whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent you've come to to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What is going on, good people? Welcome to a brand new installment of the Before the Millions podcast. As usual, I'm your host, DeRay Olalaye, and I'm excited. Hopefully your week has gotten off to the right foot and you're accomplishing all of the goals that you set out for this week, this month, this year. And I know for the large majority of my community, the number one goal for a lot of us is to leave our jobs, escape the rat race and truly travel as much and as as freaking as we want. Knowing that today's guest is an individual who has achieved his financial freedom who has been able to achieve location independence, who came from a professional background and realized that he needed to find a way to build up his passive income assets to the point where he could leave his job, take care of his family and travel the world. And again, knowing that that is the number one goal for my audience, I wanted to just kind of dig into his background and how he did it and and what advice he has for individuals starting on that path to achieve financial freedom. And today's guest is Mr. Todd Miller. And Todd is a financial coach of sorts, but he got his start in real estate and he continues to build up his passive income portfolio by finding killer deals. But on today's episode, again, we're going to talk a little bit more about his path, right? How he got to financial freedom when it comes to the budgeting, because you only budget so that you can set X amount to do X, Y, and Z. So I'm budgeting to save. All right. Well, now that I've saved, all right, what does the investing look like? Right. Where am I pouring this money into? So we're going to talk about the budgeting. We're going to talk about the saving. We're going to talk about the investing. And ultimately, we're going to help you get more clarity on your path to financial freedom. So as we explore Todd's mind and his path and what has worked for him and what hasn't worked for him, we have to understand that not everything is going to work for us. We have to understand that we have very different backgrounds. We have very different resources. And ultimately, every single one of our paths are going to be that much different. So the key is to start with your goals and get crystal clear on what that is so that when you hear Todd's advice and when you hear my advice, you can quickly filter on what's important to you and what's not important to you, what makes sense for you and what doesn't make sense for you. So again, I'm super excited for this episode. We have a lot to cover. And before we get to it, I just want to make sure that you are already subscribed to the Before the Millions podcast. If you're not, if you're brand new, if this is your first time tuning in, go ahead and subscribe. More importantly, if you're an episode in or two or maybe even 10 and you haven't yet left a review, 
head over to your podcasting directory of choice, maybe that's iTunes, and leave a review, preferably a five-star review. So it'll literally take you two seconds. You head over to this podcast and you click on the write a review option. Now, what this allows you to do is not only does it allow you to give us five stars, but it also allows you to leave a written review. Now, iTunes and all these other platforms, they aggregate these reviews and they they start to see that, okay, well, this show is getting really great reviews. So we want to push more people towards this content because we can understand that this content is probably really good. And that's how we get our podcast, our platform out to more individuals. So if you would please take two seconds and go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and review, it'll go a long way towards our goal of 200 reviews in the next few months. Again, two things before we get to the show, subscribe and leave a review. And by doing those two things, you've done more for this community than you could ever know. Now let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. I can think back to, you know, when I'm maybe five or six years old and I'm starting to get my first allowance and, you know, I'm seeing the money coming in and, you know, putting in my little piggy bank and watching my little piggy bank grow. And then, you know, maybe go into to Best Buy or Toys R Us and buying something and then, you know, being out of money again and this constant ebb and flow of having money and then not having money. Um, so then as I grow older, you know, I realize how important money is. It's a big part of life. And, um, and then I start thinking about, you know, how can I, how can I make money? So of course, you know, most people start off by getting a job and I did the same thing, you know, when I was 16 as I got a job, you know, making minimum wage or just about there, um, for, you know, the first several years of my working life. And then, um, you know, as I go to college, um, I'm, I'm introduced to a couple of books, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, of course, which uh, most people are, uh, are hit with, and then uh, Four Hour Work Week. And, you know, just, just seeing that there's other options out there other than, you know, slaving away at a job for 40 years, that you can live your life differently. You don't have to work 40 hours a week, you know. You can, you can work much less if you can set yourself up to do that. Um, so I, I read both of those books while I was in college and, um, and it started, started opening up my eyes to different opportunities. And, um, I decided that, that I was going to try and, and start a couple of small businesses while I was in college. So the first thing that I did, um, is I started buying football tickets to, uh, to the university of Florida, which is where I went. Uh, so go Gators. Um, so, so what I would do is, you know, every year the Gators had a pretty good football team. So we'd go to, to a, a great bowl game. You know, a lot of times we'd go, um, go to a game in, in Florida. So there'd be a, a high demand for these tickets. So I'd go around to, to my buddies and get their student IDs and, uh, and go buy, you know, like 20 or 30 tickets at a time and then go and put them up on eBay and sell them and make a little profit. And I thought that, that was pretty cool. And, um, and I wanted to keep doing that. So I was started brainstorming on what are some other things that I could do along the same lines to, to make money a little bit more frequently. So a friend of mine and I decided that we were going to start buying and selling textbooks. So at the end of every semester, we would target a couple of classes and go um, stand outside the classes, you know, when their finals were getting out and, you know, start offering to buy people's books, you know, just waving $20 bills basically in front of their face and saying, Hey, I'll give you 20 bucks. You give me your book. So we did that for a while and, um, you know, generated, generated a little, uh, a little bit more money, you know, two or three times a year. 
And then uh, again, I was still looking for something that was a little bit more consistent to, uh, to you know, help out with uh, the beer money and, and the college lifestyle there. So I decided that I was going to start buying and selling uh, used cell phones. Um, of course, you know, in college, people were always losing them or dropping them or, you know, something. So there's always a need for, for people to have, uh, you know, the latest cell phone. So I got involved with that and, you know, was able to buy several hundred every semester and sell them. And as I'm kind of going through each of these businesses, uh, I start realizing that the, the more money that I can save and invest, the more inventory I can buy or the more money I'll make, the more that I'll be able to, to um, save and invest in, in the next business or the next product. So I, I just kind of kept doing that over and over and realizing that, hey, the more money that, that I have in my pockets, you know, the bigger that I can make that grow. So uh, eventually, you know, I had to graduate and, uh, and move on with my life. So I did. Um, I ended up getting a job with a global Fortune 500 company. And, uh, and looking back on it, you know, I really felt like I was living uh, my parents' dream for me. It wasn't necessarily mine. Um, you know, they had worked hard to, to, to give me all these opportunities and, and to make sure that, you know, I was set up um, to, to live, quote unquote, a good life. Um, so I, I entered the corporate workforce and, um, and about eight months later I got laid off and that was, uh, uh, really due to the great recession and what was going on in the world at the time. And during this, this time, I, I really started to reflect on what, it, what I wanted out of life. Um, you know, it gave me a couple of months to really just sit and think about what direction I wanted to head in. And ultimately, I decided that, you know, I wanted to live more on my terms and not be dependent on a corporation to provide for me. I wanted to be able to provide for myself, which would give me the freedom to, you know, have great experiences and, and to do things that I wouldn't normally be able to do. So that was kind of the path that I decided that I wanted to, to set off on. Um, and then that, that also triggered, you know, my exploration of the world of personal finance and, you know, budgeting and saving and, you know, the steps that I needed to take within myself to be able to put myself into this situation. And one of those things that I realized was getting outside of my comfort zone. Um, so I am more of a, uh, an introverted kind of a person, more, more quiet and shy and reserved. And I realized that I needed to really get out of my shell um, in order to, to get the things that I, that I wanted and to accomplish the goals that I had. So I ended up moving and taking a job in mortgage banking in a sales job. And over the next several years, um, you know, I have the opportunity to look at thousands of people's personal finances and their financial situation. And as I was reviewing those, I was also reading uh, another book, which was The Millionaire Next Door. And that one really rang true for me because I was looking at these people that were making, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars every month, but were really struggling to pay their bills. And um, that really just rang true with what the book was saying in that, you know, a lot of people look like they're wealthy, but they, you know, are in debt like most Americans are and really living paycheck to paycheck and struggling. Um, so again, looking at that and, and looking at those findings, you know, that, that really fueled my, my fire to explore the world of personal finance and kind of live within the principles of uh, the millionaire next door and the millionaire mindset to see what these people were doing and how they were um, using their money and not using their money and saving it to be able to build wealth and build the future that they wanted. 
So, um, so as I'm going through this process, you know, I'm starting to, to budget and save and building up a little, little bit of money to invest. And at the same time, uh, some of my friends from college started flipping houses. So um, I connected with them and started funding some of their deals. And, um, you know, I'd fund, fund one of their, their purchases and, you know, they'd flip it. And a couple months later, I'd have all my money back and we, we'd do it again. So we tried that a couple of times and I, I thought, hey, these guys are really onto something. Um, you know, maybe it's my turn to, to jump into the real estate um, side of things. So I did. So I started buying some single family homes and fixing them and, and renting them out and holding on to them and continuing that process. Um, so as, uh, as I'm starting to build up a little bit of a portfolio, um, you know, of course, I'm faced with some challenges like evictions, uh, tenants flooding some houses, uh, you know, getting, getting damaged properties back when they, when they move out and that kind of thing. Uh, so dealing with those challenges, and then also I'm, I'm hit with a big shock. Uh, when I was 29, my dad suddenly passed away. And that really had a big impact on me, um, helped me to, to realize, you know, how life, how short life is and that if I want something, I really need to go after it, that, you know, we're not going to be here forever, that, you know, our time on earth is really limited. So that, that really fueled my, my desire to achieve my goals and to go after this financial independence. Um, so I, I dove in, you know, even harder this time and, and continued my learning and my progression, um, and, and started buying, you know, even more properties and got into some duplexes and some quads and, you know, really trying to increase my cash flow and replace my income. Um, so going through this process and, and really starting to think again, you know, what do I want out of life? What, what, what's really going to bring me happiness? And I, took some time and again, reflected on my past experiences and realized that the one thing that really brings me the most happiness is travel is going to, um, you know, exotic locations and seeing and experiencing things I wouldn't normally be able to get. Um, I was lucky enough to convince my employer to let me take a month off, um, one year to go, go to South America for a month. And it was, it was just an unbelievable experience to be able to step away from, from work for that long, you know, really recharge my batteries and really have some great experiences and, and do some things that I just knew I wouldn't be able to do, you know, being tied down to a job for the rest of my life. Um, so as I got, so, you know, I went on these, this great trip and then I got back and again, these, these are experiences that I'm having along the way are really just fueling me to keep working harder and harder to get to this, this point of being able to become free. Um, so eventually I'm, I'm going through the process and, and increasing my cash flow and thinking about, you know, how, how much longer is it going to take for me to be able to, to leave my job? And, um, you know, I realize I'm, you know, maybe another year and a half out and I'm starting to think about, you know, the plans, what, what, what comes after, you know, my corporate life, what's, what's going to be next there. So I start, uh, you know, moving some money around and start investing in some, some other projects, some, you know, bigger multifamily syndications and things. Um, cause I'm, I'm planning for this point where I'm going to be able to leave my job and then I'm going to have the passive income. That's just going to kind of pay me for the next several months as I'm out, you know, goofing around the world with my fiance and having some, some really cool experiences. So eventually after about, uh, 11 years of my initial goal of, of becoming financially independent, 
um, I was able to hit that and, you know, went through the process of, of quitting my job and actually found the, the conversation of quitting my job to be a, a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. Um, I think from a young age, we're taught that, you know, you're supposed to go to school, get good grades, uh, you know, get a job and then, um, you know, work that job for decades until you, you finally retire. So it felt, felt really, really strange and hard and difficult to go into my boss's office and to tell him that I was quitting and that I wasn't, you know, come, planning on coming back. Um, I think that's, that's something that I w- really wasn't prepared for or had really even crossed my mind. I thought, you know, hey, this is going to be, be the best day of my life today. I get to go in and quit and not have to worry, worry about coming back here anymore. But I just I felt like I was almost doing something wrong, even though I'd worked so hard uh, to get to this moment. So, yeah, and, and <laughs> Todd, it's it's interesting just hearing about your life experiences, even you know way back when as a as a young child, and you know some of the entrepreneurial uh, things that you did to make some money, even in college, uh, and you start to see the unfolding of you know where you are today. Like you know, you have this this thing where you, I mean. And I don't know if you're if you're if you're 35 now, but I know you became financially free at 35, which is absolutely amazing. And I know that that's something that many of the listeners, especially as they get to their 30s, want to do, or maybe even I mean, I have some older listeners. I mean, they they want to do this in, in their 40s, right? And it's it's behoove you to get started as early as possible because of the mistakes, because of the trial and error because of, you know, all the things that you have to go through. Like, I remember you started with single family homes and you thought, okay, well, I'm good. This is it. This is what's going to become of my, my journey. And then you had all these problems, right? You, you realize like, oh my goodness, like I have to make a pivot, right? And those things take time to realize what your niche is, what your sweet spot is and where exactly you want to operate. And, you know, I just think about my journey, right? It's very, very similar. Um, when I, when I first got started down this journey, the two Two of the first books I read were Rich Dad, Poor Dad and 4-Hour Workweek. 4-Hour Workweek is still my favorite book to today, right? Um, and it's it, those books really open your eyes to the possibilities. Before those books, I had no idea that people like you and I existed. I just, I just, I didn't know. I don't know if I was shielded, if I was blinded, if I was jaded. I just, I, I had no idea. And those books really gave me, it gave me the language to express what, I really wanted or what I believe that I wanted. And I think it did the same thing for you when you started. And I call it, I call them experiments. I call life an experiment, but when you started experimenting, right. And you realized that you could make money by giving money to your friends who were doing fix and flips. It's, it seems like instead of you getting this fix and flip business, giving yourself another job, you wanted to take those funds, those resources, and pour those into assets that could produce income for you month after month. Because you realize early on that that wasn't going to get you to financial freedom. It was cool. It was nice. It was amazing. And you loved the money that you were getting, but you wanted that steady stream every single month. And for, for most of us, as we start to build these streams of income, at what point, and I know that you know, you're, you're, um, you're a leader in the movement of FI and things of that nature, but at what point and how do we plan to leave our jobs? How do we, because again, I'll go back to my story. I remember 
I asked this question back then, right? I was just like, man, like, all right, I read these books, I'm fired up, I'm ready to go. Um, started asking people around me, which was the wrong thing to do. I was like, man, how, how long do you think <laughs> it'll take me to like build up my passive income to, to quit my job? This is before I heard anything about, you know, a lot of these programs. And I would talk to my coworkers and, you know, uncles and aunts and things of that nature. I'm like, yeah, you know, 10 years, you know, you, you, you start, you start now a good 10 years of, uh, you'll, you'll get there. And I was just like, man, like I want to be, you know, I want to be financially free young. Like I want to, I want to be financially free, like in my twenties, if it's possible. And 10 years, wasn't going to have me be financially free in my twenties. So I was, I was dissatisfied with the answer. Um, I remember asking some people in the, in the real estate space, right? So I, I kind of one up the people who were just coworkers and bystanders who didn't really know because none of them were financially free. So I started asking people in the real estate space and they would be like, yeah, you know, you start doing X, Y, and Z, you know, give yourself a good four or five years and, and, and you'll be fine. And again, as a millennial, as a young, uh, young employee who was just suffering, um, that seemed like a very long time. And uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I don't know if it was something that um, I don't know if I had the wherewithal then, but for some reason, I knew that Parkinson's law would play a major factor in how and when I would achieve that goal. Um, so. I went against everybody else's beliefs and I just decided, I was just like, you know what, there, I mean, people have done it. I see, you know, these people on these podcasts and these YouTube channels and all these, I'm like, there is a way for me to do this in, in less time than, than, than most people have allotted for this to be done. So I gave myself a runway of two years and it sounds crazy and it sounds bold, but my, my mindset was this, if I can give myself a runway of two years, and let's just say, um, you know, this is day one, month one, like it's, it's more visceral for me to understand what needs to be done over the next 24 months to escape the rat race, right? It's, it's a lot more concrete as opposed to like a 10 year plan, right? It's very hard to, I mean, I don't know how many people have successful 10 year plans, right? It's very hard <laughs> to have a 10 year plan. Um, and not only that, but if you did have a 10 year plan, like how, what are the odds that you would get started in year one, right? Like, you know how procrastination. It's like, uh, I mean, I got 10 years. Like when, I mean, I can really slow boogie this first year and then maybe year two, I'll kick it in the second year, you know? So I said, all right, if I give myself a two year plan, like I have to step up to the plate, like day one, month one, like there are things that need to be done now. Right. So it, it just changed my perspective. And it wasn't like me thinking like, oh, I'm better or, oh, I can do this faster or anything like that. It was me challenging myself to take more action now so that if I didn't hit that two-year goal. At the end of that two years, I would have done way more than I would have done if I just had a 10-year goal, right? It was just a mindset thing to, for me to get myself to do more faster. And similar to you, I got fired 18 months. Nice. Like 18, <laughs> 18 months in, I got fired. And I was just like, dang it. Like, I need like six months more of income at least, right? And that was the very least that I needed. But um, I made the decision at that point, even though I hadn't yet gotten my passive income to exceed what I was making at work. I made the decision at that point that it, I would be better off if I figured it out. I would be better off if I just suffered for the next six months, year, two years, even if I needed to, if that meant that I had 60 hours worth of a work week back to actually focus just on my business. If that meant that, you know, um, I didn't have to, again, I didn't have to ask for anybody else. If that meant that I could be location independent, like, I was just like, let's just, let's just go all in now. So again, I didn't quite meet my goal, 
at the time before I set out to do it by myself. And that's why I wanted to pose a question to you as you thought about what your goal was for financial freedom and, you know, helping my listeners and their goals. I, I, I talked to many listeners who are like, yeah, like I'm about at 50% of what I make at work. I'm trying to figure out if I should make the leap. I know listeners who make more on their side income than they do at work and they're still worried because of benefits and all these other things. So just kind of give me the lay of the land and what's like your, your golden rule when it comes to figuring this out, because it's very different for everybody. Yeah. And I think you hit it right there on the head. It's different for everybody. So it's, it's hard to, to say and give blanket advice anytime you're talking about money and personal finance, just because everybody has so many different mindsets surrounding money and, uh, and their fears and, and, you know, the risks involved and, and whatnot. Um, I'd say, you know, looking back, like you said, hindsight is 2020. And, you know, I probably could have taken the, the leap, you know, three or four years earlier. Um, but my, my goal was, you know, I, I was in a job that I didn't hate. I was in a job, I didn't love it, but, you know, it was, it was a good paying job. I got some satisfaction out of it. And I was kind of on autopilot in my job. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like uh, a big stressor of my everyday. It was really more of a, you know, I have this commitment to my job and then I also, you know, have this commitment to building my side businesses so that I can leave the job. Um, and, you know, I, some people are probably in that same situation. I mean, I talk to people every day that absolutely love their job, but I think a lot of people maybe aren't thinking long term as well and that there's going to come a day where you're not going to be happy with your job, that you're going to want to make the switch and, and start focusing on something or someone else. You're going to have the family, you know, that's growing up that you're missing out on and that, that you're going to want to be there for. Um, you know, a lot of the reason that, that I pursued financial independence is I knew that one day I wanted to have a family. And I knew that I wanted to be, be there for my children and be able to, you know, be the little soccer coach and, you know, be able to share it in all those experiences that I think a lot of parents, you know, unfortunately miss out on. Um, so I, I would say that, you know, most of, most of the time when I talk to people about leaving their job, they have a very conservative figure in that, you know, if I make this per month passive income, you know, no problem at all. I'm going to be able to survive, you know, setbacks or emergencies that come up and I'm going to be able to, to, you know, thrive at that point. Um, and that's, that's how I thought as well. But, um, you know, I, I actually found out that I was able to survive on a lot less than I thought that I needed and that, you know, I was still saving a significant amount of my money once I quit my job still. Um, and I would say, you know, that, uh, it's completely possible for most people to, to live on less and to find out the things that truly bring happiness to them and to cut out a lot of the things that society says that, that you need in order to be viewed as a successful person and to be accepted in society. That a lot of it is taking the time to get clear on your own values, to decide what you truly want, what you're truly after and if all of these things that we're told to buy truly bring lasting happiness into our lives, or are they more of a short-term, um, short-term joy bringer? And that, hey, we're going to buy this item; it's going to, you know, make us feel good for the next couple of weeks, and then, oh, then we're going to be, you know, right back where we are today, looking for that next item. So I think a lot of a lot of the needless spending that I see comes from. Uh, people hoping that some product is going to bring lasting happiness, but it never does. 
but yet they they still continue in this ongoing mentality of purchasing goods, assuming that it's going to solve their happiness problem, which really comes from within. So let, let's dive into that a little bit more and maybe maybe take it one step further, because I want to talk about maybe some budgeting rules that you have and based on where individuals are t- as they begin this process. Right. And I don't I want to talk about your investing rules as well, because, you know, um, I mean, just think about what the average individual is is thinking that investing is right. Maybe I save quote unquote a million dollars and I earn 4% of that money. And now that I, I'm earning 4% on that money, I'm financially free. Like, I don't know if that's your philosophy and how you're thinking about financial freedom, but let's talk about budgeting rules. And then let's talk about maybe your investing rules after when it comes to budgeting, again, depending on wh- when or where you're starting, um, how, and we'll, we'll, I guess we'll use yourself as an example, Todd, that's the best example for the list, <laughs> but depending on when and where you're starting, um, what is what is the importance of budgeting and you know there's a big difference between saving and investing right so i feel like maybe there's a certain point in which you should strictly be focused on saving and then there's a point and i, I want to know what that point is that you should start thinking about investing so so kind of walk me through your your i guess your financial philosophy per se. <laughs> for sure yeah so uh, so for me the budget is most important to the foundation of personal finances and really in business in general you know if you struggle with personal finance you're probably going to struggle with business finance and running a, a successful business so for me it all starts or starts there and there's three main parts to a budget and it's really, you know, your income, your expenses, and then the amount that's left over, which is of course your savings. And that, that, you know, translates directly to, you know, like multifamily investing, you have your income, um, you have your expenses, and then you have what's left over or your net operating income. So really um, quick, really quick. I want to, I want to throw out two resources um, as before we get further. So one, do you, how do you track this and your personal, do you use an app, do you use a, a ledger, a spreadsheet? How are you tracking this? Yeah, I used to use, um, used to use a ledger where I'd enter in every transaction and that was really, you know, time consuming and almost painful to do, but it made me stick directly to my budget. So if people have trouble sticking to their budget, I would say go that route. Um, now I use an app called Personal Capital, where everything is just directly uh, linked up. So anytime I make a purchase on my credit card, it shows up in the app. And then anytime, you know, rents deposited shows up on the app. So it's just really quick and easy to take a look at, uh, at what's going on in my financial world. I love that. So Personal Capital is the app. And then the second resource I wanted to recommend, I'm sure you read it, which is uh, Profit First by Michael Michalowicz. And he has a slightly different, um, slightly different formula. Uh, you have your top line revenue and then you take your your profits and then what's left over is for your expenses. Um, so I recommend all the listeners to definitely read that book. That book was a major game changer in my life. Still is to this day. I apply by, by those principles, um, but it's just kind of making sure that you you bake in profit, right? Um, because expenses are going to expand, just like what we talked about with my timeline and Parkinson's law. Um, expenses are going to expand um, to the to the allotted uh, space that you give it. So if you have all these expenses and you're like, oh, well, I can afford this, I can do this, I can do this. And then at the end of the day, you have no profit. Um, so definitely take a look at those resources. The first one was the app, the budgeting app. What was the app called again? Uh, it's called Personal Capital. Personal Capital and uh, Mike McCallowitz, uh Profit First. All right. So you use Personal Capital to budget. And then you were telling me that the, the, the I guess you're, you're, when it comes to your fundamentals, right, you're talking about 
um, making sure that you're splitting things into, into three categories. Okay, so we have top line revenue, we have expenses, and we have profit. Okay, so we got that. What's next? Yeah, so then from there, it's really looking at how, how we can play with these numbers and pull the different strings in order to maximize profit or maximize savings. So the two, the two things that we have to play with, of course, are income and expenses. So with income, we're, we are always looking to maximize income. So, you know, you can look at switching jobs or, or going down a different career path in order to earn more income. You can look at talking to your boss uh, about a raise or, you know, a lot of people go the, the side hustle route. Um, as a, yeah, that's exactly what I did was, yeah. you know, I was, I felt like I, I had a strong income. I didn't see myself being able to significantly increase that number. And, you know, the side hustle, that's eventually the direction that I wanted to go. Um, so, so, so explore, explore where you are, explore your numbers, explore your options. If you're able to, if you believe that you deserve a raise, explore that, right? Um, if there's a family business that you know that you should be helping out on and you, <laughs> you could be getting a slice of that, explore that, right? Um, so explore your options. And if it turns out that you need to have a side hustle, a side income, um, definitely explore real estate, right? That's why we're here. Um, but again, I love that. So you, you explore different ways to maximize your income. Okay, what's next? Yeah, so maximize income and then we look to decrease expenses. So uh, for most people, their, you know, their largest expenses are going to be housing related, taxes, food and transportation. And it's really doing the same thing as taking a look at each of those expenses and seeing what you can do uh, to reduce those. You know, most people are based on my mortgage banking background. Most people spend, you know, the most amount of money on their home. It's, um, you know, in the mortgage world, you can approve people up to 45% of their income, sometimes 50, um, to get approval for a mortgage, which doesn't really leave a lot left over for any sort of a lifestyle other than paying for the house. And that's really how a lot of people end up house poor. So, um, so sometimes, you know, it does take uh, making some, some drastic actions in order to reduce these bills, whether that's, you know, selling your home or moving to a different apartment or, or some things like that. Um, but then you also can, can take a look at, you know, your transportation expense and, you know, maybe it makes sense to cut down from a, a two far car family to a one car family in today's environment um, or to, you know, utilize public transportation. Um, and then the, the other expense that that most people spend on the most is going to be food. And, you know, a lot of people feel like they need to go out to eat uh, a lot. Um, but, you know, you also can, can eat at home uh, and prepare meals and, and food prep and that kind of thing in order to reduce those expenses. So the combination of increasing the income, decreasing the expenses really boosts the profit or the bottom line. And the whole reason that, that we save is to invest, like you said, is to build up this cash reserve and, and this capital that we can put to work for us um, and earn a return to help us work towards that financial freedom. Now, Todd, when you talk about some of the things that you're having the listeners implement, for, for you personally, is it a means to an end or has it become a lifestyle, right? When it comes to like where you are now and what you've been able to achieve by applying some of those principles, are you not like, okay, now I can eat out every day. Now I can do this. I can have steak and lobster or whatever. Or are you still today? Like, Hey, every single week I need to go ahead and meal prep. Like what? So, I mean, is it a means to an end or has it become a lifestyle and it's who you are now? 
Yeah. Um, so after, after I quit my job, I went and traveled the world for a year with my fiance and we literally ate out, um, you know, three meals a day for about a year. And we got to the point where we were just, you know, sick of eating out. We just wanted home cooked meals, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. you know? Um, so for us, um, you know, it's finding that balance. And I think that's true for most people as well. And that, um, you know, most people probably don't need to eat out, you know, maybe five meals a week, but, you know, maybe it's important to them to meet, to eat out three meals a week. Um, cause they use that, you know, maybe time as time to connect with family and friends, but it does take examining that and what makes sense to you and kind of experimenting with, with eating out more and eating out less to find out what you're comfortable with and what works for you. I mean, right now, we do, we, we cook most of our meals at home because that's just what we, we had been missing for so long. And we really don't feel like we're, we're missing out on much, you know, um, if we feel like we need to go out, then, you know, we do. And we go, go meet some friends and hang out for a bit. But for the most part, you know, due to the state of the world, you know, we have no problem sitting at home cooking our meals. Absolutely. And when it comes to, okay, so I think we have the budgeting down pat now, Budgeting, the purpose of budgeting, again, is to have extra money to save. And I, I don't know if you remember, but um, when you think about, or if you ever calculated it, when you think about what your savings rate was and what you needed to work it up to, I know people who started out with like a, a not even a, a percentage, like I can save $5 a month right now. And then eventually I've seen people work up to, I can save 50% of my income a month, right? How do we, how do we delineate that? When, I want to I want to get to the the investing rules next but we have to have a good sum right in savings to invest right so we're going from budgeting to saving to investing right we we we've discovered your budgeting principles and these principles are allowing us to save so what does saving look like in your eyes Yeah so for most people I'd say the reason that they have a hard time saving is they're not following a budget they're just spending money and you know kind of keeping what's left over like you said they're not profiting first they're profiting last so the expenses are easy to, to get out of control and easy to experience like the lifestyle creep and that kind of thing. So there's not left much left over to, to invest. Um, so for most people, I would say it's, it's starting with the budget and following the plan of saving money. And then once you start saving money, I think you'll naturally start paying attention to how much you're saving and you're going to naturally want to increase the amount that you're saving um, in order to, to work towards the goals and the things Where that do you you're keep saving your savings? for. I'm sorry. Where do you keep your savings? Where is a good place to keep your savings? Yeah, right now it's, you know, there's not really a good place to keep your savings. <laughs> um, you know, I keep mine in a, in a high yield savings account and by high yield, you know, it, it may be at like, you know, 60 basis points or something like that. Um, so it, it's really hard to, to find a, a safe, secure place to keep money and actually have it make money as opposed to lose money with inflation and that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, I, I would even say, you know, if people are looking to increase their yield on, on their, their savings money right now, the thing that makes the most sense to do is to probably look at some of the sign-up bonuses that you get for transferring money around. Um, you know, some banks offer a couple hundred dollars for you to switch your money over to them, which is more than that you're going to make an in interest over the next two to three years. So it makes makes sense to do do some of those things right now. Absolutely. I love it. All right, cool. So <laughs> we have now, now give me give me like um, let's start talking numbers or, or percentages. Right. 
at what point do I know that, okay, like I've saved a good, a good, a good amount of money. It's now time to start investing. Yeah. So that's, that's going to be again, person independent as far as, you know, what you're comfortable investing in. If you're comfortable investing in stocks, then really once you have your emergency funds set and you have that money set aside, then, you know, the, the rest that you're saving is going to be your investment capital. The, the money that you're going to be able to put to work for you. Um, if, if you're not comfortable in stocks or, or you're more interested in real estate, then, you know, it's going to probably take a little bit, you know, more money to, to be able to get involved in, into a deal. Um, so part of it is, you know, stockpiling and putting the money, you know, into an account that you don't touch and just letting it grow. And while it's growing, you know, you're working on your education and, and looking for what you consider to be a good deal, kind of outlining your, your buying criteria so that you can go in and, and find, uh, find this house or find this apartment complex that you're interested in buying. And you can pull the trigger, you know, when you have the, the money saved up and, and ready to go. Absolutely. What's, what's more important to you, a uh, rate of return per year or, or dollars for dollars, how much you're making and how fast you can make it? Um, so for me, I really look at rate of return. Um, I usually, when I buy uh, an asset, I usually hold on to it for the long term. I'm not interested in really flipping it or holding on to it, you know, for a couple of months. Um, I want to know that this is going to be an asset that's going to produce cash flow for me uh, for the next several years to come. Um, and I think a lot of that for me stems from my transaction environment um, and being in the mortgage world and that, you know, I was closing, let's just say 15 or 20 loans a month. And that's really a transactional business. And I just, you know, that wears you out after, after some point in time and, and keeping up and trying to find the next person to, mm-hmm. to get a mortgage. Um, so part of my whole goal, you know, was replacing this income so that I could buy one asset and know that this one purchase that I was going to make was going to pay me for the next several years down the road. What, is the average, what does the average deal look like for you? Like in terms of how much you're putting down and how much you're making monthly? Yeah. So. Um, I haven't really purchased much as far as a uh, small multi- multifamily in the last couple of years. Um, I've really been going into syndications the last, uh, last couple of investments that I've made. Okay. And, and as far as those investments are more so on a percentage basis. So are you, is it more like you're looking at like, I need, um, I need returns of 15% or is it more like 12% or 10%? Like what, are, what are, what is your investing? What are your investing rules and criteria? Yeah. So um, one thing that I like to tell people to take a look at is is the amount of work that it's going to take for these investments. So if if you can you know traditionally get a return of say eight percent on the stock market, and you can put your money into uh, a real estate investment and get ten percent, I mean, is that two percent that you're going to make really worth your time? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you kind of start looking at things from that standpoint, I think. It, it, it opens up your eyes and that, you know, maybe a 10% return isn't enough knowing that I might, may have to be a little bit more involved that I may have to deal with, you mm. know, tenants and, and turning properties over and that kind of thing. Um, so for me, you know, right now uh, I'm looking at things in the teens. That's, that's kind of my minimum at this point in time is that I'm starting to sell, you know, maybe some of the assets that have been uh, that have performed for me over the last several years. And I think they're, you know, getting up there in value. I don't know that I would pay that much for them today. 
and I'm looking to to sell them and then reinvest into into other assets that because, are. And this is because uh, Todd, your returns are higher, right? So let's just say you're, you're you're talking about single family homes that you're looking to sell off, and you're going to take those proceeds and put them into syndications because you're getting higher returns and you're doing less work. Is that correct? That's a hundred percent correct. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, the the lazy man's philosophy, uh, and that you know I've I've been working hard the last several years to build up all these houses and you know managing all my tenants and that kind of thing, and uh, and you know that wears on you. You know, a lot of it comes down to the the lifestyle that you want to lead. Um, Would you say that the returns are significant? Like, I mean, not the returns are significant in general, but in, in opposed to the returns that you're getting with the single family homes, like, is it like a, a, a big discrepancy just to give our listeners a basis? Like, hey, I'm investing in single family homes, but I could just put my money in. Like, is it like a day and night difference? Um, I would say in today's environment, I would say, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is a huge opportunity in syndication and multifamily right now compared to single family homes. Um, most of the areas in the United States, you know, have seen a significant amount of appreciation, and um, and I don't think that that necessarily the rents are keeping up with the the appreciation. So it makes it makes a lot of sense for people to look at selling off assets in order to get into these syndications where you know there's still significant upside to bring these properties up uh, to to the current market rental values and increase the value of the asset in the process, and then you know look to to make the return. Um, when, when they sell in, you know, five years down the road or whatnot. How many syndicators, just curious, how many syndicators, um, currently are sending you their offerings? <laughs> um, uh, maybe like seven or eight. Um, okay. I don't know. I feel like at least once a week I'm getting, getting some sort of a deal about something coming down, you know, what, what, what your, do you, you get excited when you get these emails? Like, do you just like rent, run home, get on the computer and start, start crunching? What do you, what's your process? <laughs> well, it kind of depends, you know, if I have, uh, have money sitting in the, the investment account, just, you know, kind of burning a hole in my pocket, then yeah, I do get excited. Um, but, but, you know, I always like to see kind of what's going on in, in each of the, uh, the marketplaces to see if, you know, if this is a solid deal, if this is just somebody trying to, to push a product or kind of what's so, going so, on. So Todd, if you get three different emails over the next seven days, what, specifically does Todd look at to be like, all right, well, I'm going to go with this one instead of this one. So I'd say the the top two things that I really look at, um, the first one is going to be the market and what's going on in the MSA. Um, you know, is there job growth or people leaving as it look like it's, uh, you know, a desirable area to live, you know, just what's going on with the general demographic and, and population in that area. And then really the second one that I look at is, is going to be the actual operator or syndicator. Yep. I was looking for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Cause I mean, when I really stop and think about it, um, you know, the, the syndicator is going to be the one that's really in charge of, of really what happens with the asset. They're the ones that are going to be making the decisions and, looking back at my own real estate experience, you know, I started, started very green and, and really didn't know a whole lot when I first get started. Um, the first tenant that I ever had, they flooded one of my houses, oh. like the first day that they moved in. And I, I just didn't, I didn't know what to do. So I just let them break the lease and move on out. Cause I was just like, uh, I don't think this is supposed to happen. So yeah, wow. you can leave. So, um, so yeah, so I think, I think the people that have been in the business, have experienced those kind of things and, you know, they've, they've had to solve more of these problems than, 
um, people that are that are a little bit newer to the business. So I put my my trust and my faith in them more, um, just knowing that they've they've had you know worse experiences and and have had to had to deal with um, with all sorts of different problems. When you think about an average investor who's just now starting out, they don't have, they're not accredited. They're not able to put up $50,000 yet. Like you weren't back in the past. And then you got into, you know, you started giving your friends from some money to do fix and flips and things of that nature to build your income. This is often what a lot of the listeners, a lot of people are doing to get to the level to where they can start handing their money off. Right. So maybe they're starting to do deals themselves. Maybe they're starting to do wholesale deals. Uh, maybe they're doing, you know, they're giving, you know, 10 K to a fixer and flipper and they're, they're hoping that they can make some money on it. But ultimately, again, they're finding these different hustles, these different ways to, to build out that capital. And when it comes to the, I guess the, the, the advice that you have for individuals who are at that stage where they're not able to yet fork off money to syndicators, but they're looking to grow wealth through some of the vehicles that you used before. Um, I just want you to give them some advice as well before, you know, this has been an awesome conversation, by the way, Todd, just talking about um, your mindset in terms of uh, budgeting, your mindset in terms of investing and how you're looking at investments these days. And, you know, the level that many of our listeners are aspiring to get to, but a lot of them are where you were when you first just started handing money to people and you were like, all right, well, you, you're doing this fix and flip. Let me see if I can give you a little bit of money and see if I can make some money on that. All right, well, let me get started down this path and, and start making money myself in this space so I can actually have some money to put towards uh, some of these bigger deals what do you, what do you, what advice can you give somebody in that position? What do you see in the market today that, you know, is a great real estate vehicle that can help an individual start making, you know, 5k on a deal or 10k on a deal, or, you know, get some great returns as they're starting out to build up to the place that you are now. So, um, really the first place that I tell people to start is education is, you know, listening to podcasts like yourself, and you know, um, learning as much as they can about the different investment vehicles that are out there. Um, you and I found real estate because we believe in real estate, and I think that real estate has a track record in uh, making people wealthy, and that's that's part of the reason that I got into it. Um, so really, you know, it's educating yourself on on really what's out there, and then on top of the education is networking with people. So, you know, intend, attending meetup groups and, you know, real estate invest, investors association groups in order to, to meet the people that are actually doing deals in your particular marketplace um, and finding those mentors and those coaches that can, that can really help you and, and progress you forward. But if you're just really starting out and, and you know, you're, you don't have a lot of money, then most people start out as a wholesaler. Um, that's, you know, the easiest way to, to generate some, some quick cash and to start stockpiling cash so that you can invest in, you know, single family rentals or multifamily rentals or, you know, whatever, whatever your goals may be. Um, but really for me, my thought is, is you need to increase your income. And the way that you do that is really the side hustle or your job. So it's really picking out which one you think you have the biggest opportunity and then pursuing that with everything that you have. Love and it. so, so once, once the income's coming up, you know, then if you're focused on your goals and on your investments, I think you're naturally going to take a look at your expenses because you're going to want to lower your expenses because you're going to be, 
naturally attracted to these goals and these things that you want and your whole reason that you're doing and taking all these actions. This episode is brought to you by Fundrise. It's never been easier to become a real estate investor. With as little as $500, watch your money passively work for you by investing in real estate through a crowdfunding platform like Fundrise. In just a few minutes, you can invest in hundreds of highly vetted multi-million dollar properties such as hotels, apartment buildings, and offices all around the U.S. Based on your financial goals, Fundrise will detail a few REITs, real estate investment trusts, for you to choose from with the click of a button you can own fractional shares of really amazing deals that before the jobs act of 2012 were impossible for the everyday non-accredited investor to even hear about much less invest in now what i like about fundrise is their ridiculously low advisory fees so dig this at 1.5 percent my actual returns on fundrise are outperforming my stated returns and other assets even though they advertise higher returns So Fundrise has no hidden costs, no management fees, no unfavorable terms. And for the BTM tribe, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E for your first three months of advisory fees totally waived. Yes, the actual only fee that Fundrise charges is being waived for three months. Simply head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise and welcome yourself to a real alternative to investing in the stock market. That link, one last time, is beforethemillions.com forward slash fundrise. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Well, we talked a little bit about uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and of course, Four Hour Work Week. And I'm sure those have probably been played out a couple of times on the on uh, on the podcast. So I'm going to throw out a different one out there. And this one may be a little bit different. It's more of a storybook, and it's called uh, The Alchemist. And it's really about how, you know, when you step out of your comfort zone and, and you're willing to try and do new things, that the universe kind of conspires to help you get there and to make these things happen. Mm, love it. The alchemist, guys. It's going to be in the show notes. What's your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. So while I was out traveling um, the last year, um, the, the thing that I kept using day in and day out was, was uh, Google Docs. And I have my team hooked up to Google Docs. And you know, anytime I see any edits or somebody pays rent, I can go in there and kind of get a status update as far as the health of the business, you know, what's going on with maintenance requests and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that, that proved instrumental for me while I've been out, out traveling. Absolutely. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? It's really has to do with me, uh, is freedom. Um, so freedom of time, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but freedom of thought to a degree I found in, uh, in the corporate world that they would always, you know, maybe give you some news and try and spin it the way they wanted you to think about it. Um, so I really enjoyed, you know, being able to, to have control of my time, to be able to work on the projects that are meaningful to me. And, um, and yeah, it's been, it's been great. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? The biggest one is time. Um, knowing that, you know, I was going to have to put in 50 hour work weeks and then I was still going to have to have the time and energy to go out and network and pursue deals. Um, but 
that I was going to have to experience, you know, delayed gratification while my friends were out buying, you know, bigger houses and nicer cars and boats and that kind of thing that I was out, you know, saving my money and putting them in investments, knowing that, you know, one day I, I too would have, you know, the, the joy and freedom that I, I saw them, you know, having in the things that they were buying. And then also, you know, along with time, I'd say my weekends, you know, a lot of my weekends were spent, networking or going and looking at houses or going to seminars and learning and, and bettering myself or fixing up, uh, you know, doing some light rehab on my properties to get them rent ready and that kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, I would say I wouldn't trade those experiences for anything that helped me become a better investor and helped me grow as a person. Absolutely. There was a second part to a question earlier. I forgot to make sure we got answered in terms of thinking about your, um, your your investing rules right do you consistently reinvest all of your proceeds all of your um all of your earned revenue from your investments do you reinvest that automatically or are you are you again going back to fi like again there are people who have the philosophy where hey like i've saved you know a million dollars i'm earning four percent or five percent of that money and that's the money that i'm living off of right are you using your investments to live off of or or do you still have active income and and you're you're actually in fact not using any of your investments and you're not using all of your active income to for your expenses you're still pouring some of your active income into your investments like how does wrap up your philosophy in that in that sense for us yeah, so for me, um, I live completely off of uh, off of my passive income. Um, I, <laughs> so I live off of my passive income, and I guess I'm at a point where you know I'm still able to to save and have a surplus every month as well. So I'm still uh, building this investment capital so that I can continue to grow my investment capital um, because I know that you know. I'm going to experience the the lifestyle creep and the lifestyle inflation and that I'm going to want to grow my family. And as that happens, you know, I, I need to be prepared for that and to make sure that I have um, the resources available to cover these, these new um, members <laughs> to the family um, and, and, you know, the expenses that go along with it. Um, but then I also have, have a business that I, that I enjoy and that I love working in. And that's, you know, really a hobby business for me and a way for me to, to give back. Um, but no, I'm, I've always really been focused on, um, on the passive income side of things. Um, because I know that, you know, at some point in time, I may not be able to work or I may not want to work or I may want to take a year off and, and really focus on something else. So that's, that's really always been my focus is the passive income. Love it. Back to the questions. <laughs> Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? I've had so much help along the way. There's no way that I would be where I am today if it wasn't for, you know, all the people that, that have helped me. And I've had uh, mentors in, in the uh, financial industry that have helped me get my start in mortgage banking and, and learning about sales. But, you know, I've also had a lot of mentors in the world of real estate that have uh, helped to help me kind of develop my business plan and, and my five and 10 year plan and how to work towards those and make sure those, um, those things come true. Uh, I know I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for uh, my contractor. He has been uh, instrumental in, in, um, in helping me get into achieve financial independence. He's somebody that I, that I know and that I trust and that I never feel like he's taken advantage of me and that I feel like he's really on my side and on my team. And I can't tell you, um, you know, the amount of horror stories as I'm sure you've heard 
from bad contractors and people feeling like they've been taken advantage of. Um, so without him, there's, there's no way that I'd be able to, to do this and to live the life that I do. Absolutely. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? Yeah, this is, this is a, a tough one. And um, as I, as I kind of th- think about it, um, it really comes back to your why, the why that you're, you're wanting to pursue a million dollars or, or why you're wanting to build a business. What's the point? Is the point money? I don't think that it is. I think that there's something, something bigger for most people. You know, money is only going to do so much for you. And then you're probably going to get bored with it, which is why, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, um, you know, sell businesses and then start the next one is because, you know, money only goes so far and then, then you want to pursue something else or, or try to make- start the next one. They go into a deep depression. There you go. Hey, <laughs> I can relate to that a hundred percent, man. Like, like, um, you know, we took a little break from our travels, uh, for, for two months while I was waiting for my niece to be born. And I about drove my fiance crazy because like, I just, I was like, I have all this time and I just do not know what to do with it. Um, so yeah, I, I completely, completely agree with that. Uh, but it's really, you know, connecting with those goals and, and looking at them, you know, I look at mine twice a day, um, just to make sure that if I'm always looking at it, then it's going to be on my mind that much more often, which means I'm probably that much more likely to be working towards them. Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> Rewind 15 seconds on that. Seriously. Um, I don't know if you had any more to add to that, but that was, that was gold. Oh yeah. I guess, I guess, um, I will tell a quick little story here. Um, and that how I really got started with goal setting, um, was I was, uh, I was a senior in high school and, uh, and I've, I was always a big soccer player growing up. So we were heading into essentially, you know, my last ever soccer season. And I kind of had the goal that, Hey, this is a, this is like my last shot at, at, you know, making it to the championship. So, um, so I, I made the goal of, you know, making it to the state championship, uh, soccer finals. So I, I hung this little thing on my mirror and had like a, a countdown from how many days it was until the soccer championship. And then, um, then, you know, as we progressed throughout the season, I'd be crossing off the days and cutting out articles from the newspaper that, you know, was talking about the team and how well we were doing and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and to make a long story short, you know, we ended up making it to the finals and, and we won and we actually won with the largest margin of victory ever in a state final. Um, so that kind of set my whole, uh, my whole, you know, goal setting journey of that, man, maybe, maybe goals are powerful. Like when you really connect to them and you really think about them and you envision how you're going to think and feel as you're going through the process and as you actually achieve them. Absolutely. I love that to top off this episode. It's been an amazing podcast episode, Todd. If the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, find out what you're up to, maybe even say hi, where can they connect with you? The, the best place to find me is on uh, my website. And uh, I'm a money coach or financial coach and really looking to help people um, understand their money better so that they can invest more and achieve their financial dreams sooner. And that website is uh, tightwadtodd.com. It's all about uh, all about budgeting, saving, and investing. Hey, and that's what this episode has been about. I love it. Absolutely, Todd. And the link to everything that we talked about will be in the show notes of today's episode. Todd, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for being an inspiration to my listeners. And we'll talk to you very, very soon. Thank you so much for having me.